Support for MindShift comes from Landmark College. Its annual Summer Institute for Educators takes place June 25th through 27th. Registration is now open at landmark.edu lcsi. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Welcome to the MindShift Podcast, where we explore the future of learning and how we raise our kids. I'm Ki Sung. One common parental complaint is how much time and money are spent on kids' sports. Parents spend a lot of afternoons and evenings shuttling their kids to and from practices and waiting in the car during those practices. And then there's the money to pay for club sports or the latest skill improvement clinic, not to mention coaching and the equipment. It can cost a lot. And that's by design. Families spend in the ballpark of $30 billion a year on their kids' sports. And that is way more than parents spent in previous generations when sports activities were community-based. Almost half of U.S. teenagers play a team sport, which can pave the way to healthy, lifelong habits. But some parents end up pushing their kids too hard, ruining some of the benefits of sports. Coming up, you'll hear from Linda Flanagan, a running coach and author of Take Back the Game, how money and mania are ruining kids' sports and why it matters. Stay with us. Talking about money can be so hard, especially when the person you're talking to is still learning how to do long division. That's why Million Bazillion, a Webby-winning podcast from Marketplace, is here to help. I'm Bridget, and with my fellow co-host Ryan, we help teach your little ones about complex topics like bankruptcy, climate change, and why there's so much gold at Fort Knox, and so much more. Listen to Million Bazillion wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.
Linda Flanagan, in your book, you researched some of the extremes of sports, overuse injuries, burnout, toxic coaches. But we all know exercise is good for you. So let's start by hearing about the benefits of sports for kids. We know more and more. Every week in the New York Times science section, there's another story about the wonders of exercise, how it improves cardiovascular health, how it improves memory, processing speed, even the way we hear things. Uh, that's in physical health, mental health. You know, there's a crisis of mental health in this country among young people. Even 150 minutes a week of walking improves mood. It reduces depression. It thwarts anxiety. So there's all these wonderful reasons why kids should play sports. And by the way, the number one determinant of whether or not you're active as an adult is if you played sports in high school. Movement is so essential. And we have an obesity crisis, the mental health crisis. Exercise is is perfectly geared towards addressing these problems. Also, sports build communities. And sports are a way to bring people together. And they bring kids together in ways that they're not going to get in the classroom. They can establish a name for themselves that makes them connected to school in a way that maybe their chemistry class doesn't connect them. I think it would make so much sense if we could improve sports options in schools so that they're not just aimed at the varsity players, the top players. You know, if you think of a basketball team, like 10 kids make the team. You could have a school of 3,000 kids and 10 girls and 10 boys make the team. There are so many kids who play basketball. We should be offering intramural programs and enhance our PE options. There are ways to do that if we could be more creative about it so that more kids get to play and more kids you know, at least have some exposure that they may then take it up outside after school and play for fun as well. That's what's been lost in this, you know, the monetization of youth sports. Do you have some tips on what parents can do if they feel like their kids' sports participation is maybe not what they signed up for or hoped it would be? Well, I think it depends on what the nature of the problem is. If the child is coming home acting strangely, upset or like weirdly quiet or is resistant about going to practice in a way that seems odd, I would definitely pay attention to that because while few coaches do abuse players in a, in a headline kind of way, there's all kinds of subtle abuses that can go on in sports. I would just go to a different team, go to a different league. There's no, there's no reason to continue with an, in an abusive situation or a situation that just doesn't feel right. I think for the most part, the best way to help your kids with their sports is to let them take the lead, to let them be the ones who decide what they want to play, where they want to play, when they want to play, to kind of take a backseat to their interest because it's ultimately they're the ones who have to determine whether or not they even want to do this. You can't impose it on them. I feel like there's been this tension about sticking with it and demonstrating grit versus um, what adolescents need, which is to try different things. And maybe, you know, young kids too, uh, having that exposure to a lot of different things. They've been hit over the head with that message that what matters is grit. That especially, I think it's especially acute for the more serious young kids who are athletes 
that there comes a point where grit is not, suffering is not virtue. And I think there is this notion, they get mixed up in their head about, well, if I just suffer more, I will be stronger and better at what I do. And I think there comes a point when suffering is just suffering and isn't good for you and isn't healthy. And it's a hard, maybe a hard line to identify where that is, but I think it is something to bear in mind and the kids should be reminded that misery does not mean this is all wonderful, that you're just learning. I'm just going to ask you a one word question. Why? Why do they do all of this? Why is it so important? (laughs) Oh, that's the million dollar question. Um, You know, there's a variety of answers and it's, it's the ecosystem and our culture that makes youth sports seem so important, seem disproportionately vital for children to play and to play at a young age and to play a lot. The average number of hours per week that children between the ages of 5 and 17, the number of hours a week they spend is 16.6 on their sport. So that is a massive amount of time kids are spending on their sports. And, you know, there has to be some kind of rationale for it. It's, you know, having been that parent in the stands rooting for my child, um, it's a combination of uh, love and enthusiasm for your child, wanting what's best for them, thinking that playing sports is is a healthy um, activity. And also it's, it makes you feel good as a parent when they do well, you know. It's deeply gratifying, as absurd as that sounds. There's also the fact of college. Um, you know, colleges give a lot of advantages to recruited athletes that are not available to those applicants who don't have an athletic pedigree. So parents who are paying attention and who can see that maybe their young child is interested in, you know, is pretty good, has good hand-eye coordination, or can handle a field hockey stick or a lacrosse stick, or kicks the soccer ball well, might say, hmm, well, if we, you know, if we devote our income and our time to developing this skill, perhaps our child will get a scholarship and will kind of ease the burden of the tuition costs and make it easier for the child to be accepted. So there's kind of a a variety of stew of forces that make it seem so very, very important and worth delaying retirement savings and considering taking a second job to help pay for it. It just has become so important in people's minds because it's not really clear that it's beneficial. To the extent that we're doing it is not beneficial. One thing you wrote in your book that I don't think a lot of parents talk about is um, how a child's success makes the parent feel. Can you walk me through the feelings as a parent of having a kid who's good at sports? What are the ups and also what are the downsides? Yeah, see, I think this is kind of a... uh a well-kept secret that, you know, we, we parents often rationalize why we're doing what we're doing because our child, you know, they are, they love soccer. They couldn't live without it. And it's so great for them and all their friends are doing it. And sometimes this is, this can be true and it can be partially true, but I think a very strong motivating factor is the ego reward that goes with having your child do well out there. And again, having been in that position, 
and feeling irrationally proud, I guess. And I, I think it's, by the way, I think it's fine to feel proud of your children every now and then. I'm not like going to come down on that. But it when it becomes like your own source of good feeling, that, you know, seeing your child get celebrated and patted on the back by all the kids and have other parents notice and come up to you and say, wow, your child's really good. Congratulations. You can't help but feel happy, for lack of a better word, in that moment. Likewise, when they do poorly, if you're very dependent on your child's performance for how you feel, if they play poorly, then it's easy to, you know, get mad at your child or be frustrated or to feel also irrationally down if they don't perform well. And you know, this is kind of a subterranean motive, I think, for why parents, and I include myself in this, put have put too much into our kids' sports because there is this, like, psychic benefit that goes with them playing well and which rationalizes why you should pay more and get the best equipment and send them to the extra training. It's not too noble a motive, but I think it does explain a lot of why the excesses continue. What was your experience with your three kids and sports in your life? Well, I've played sports my entire life. My parents insisted that we stay active and that we do things. So I learned tennis and I learned softball and I loved them. I really, as particularly softball, I was, I loved moving. I liked running. So it was natural for me. And more importantly, it made me feel good. I felt uh, stress just kind of evaporate on a good run or even a bad run, just getting outside, being, and often with friends. It was a social thing. So when, when my husband and I had kids, he's also an athlete. You know, we, we both felt that it was important part of life for them to pick up. And so one one thing we did was we continued to, whether consciously or not, to model movement. So we, both of us ran and talked about running ad nauseum and um, encouraged our kids to run and to play activities. Now, the thing is, kids are stubbornly themselves. And no matter what you want as a parent, and with our oldest child, um, my daughter, she she just didn't really want to do this stuff. And we took her to dance. I remember one awful time and I took her to dance and she just curled on the floor in the fetal position and sobbed. I was like, okay, well, this isn't working. She didn't like soccer. So we just kind of backed off with her and let her play as she wanted to. And then she went to a school where she had to play. So she did and she was very casual about it. Wasn't a source of stress. She had friends. It was kind of like, it was not a bad experience at all. And in the end, she didn't have any terrible coaches, and she got introduced to sports. My middle son, he was much more resistant. He did not want anything to do with it. He had a resistance to the idea that he should be told how to do this, and it was in his personality. So we said, okay, we're not going to force you. And interestingly, now he's in his 20s, and now he's a runner. because I And I think because... Having seen us grow, my husband and I um, benefit from running and, you know, make it a priority in our own lives. He's seen how that can work. He's not crazy. He's not running, you know, 200 miles a week, but he's running enough that it affects his life and it's important to him. 
our youngest is the one who I speak most of in the book because he has always had um, a big appetite for sports. He loved them. He, you know, he could hit a wiffle ball wearing a diaper. You know, he was just very into sports. He's agile. He's fast. All those things. And, you know, we signed him up for anything he wanted, including some some travel programs that you know, I look back at now and I think well, that was just dumb and totally unnecessary. He didn't need to play travel soccer. It just separated me from the rest of the family or my husband from the rest of the family who was ever driving him. It, it wasn't important. And we can see that now. You know, we did some, we did a few camps and some dumb things like that. And I say that they're dumb because it was just kind of a waste of money, honestly. I mean, he wasn't, he's not going to, he didn't play in college. He might've been able to play division three, but that wasn't the priority. The priority were his academics. And he went to an excellent college and played with his friends and went to the gym a lot and ran. And now he's an excellent runner and he plays pickleball. And the point is they're all active. My three kids, which is what I we wanted for them, was to be active and to enjoy sports, to enjoy movement, so that it becomes integrated into their lives. Far be it for me to advise other people, but I feel like the goal ought to be to encourage exercise, daily movement, so that it's not some alien thing and they don't develop diabetes and have a weight problem and can connect with other people around a sport. I love hearing about your kids. Um, And I do love hearing about your experience with them because when you're in the middle of parenting, when the kids are young, it's hard to see where things are going to land. And I think I love what you said. Kids are stubbornly themselves. They are. Yeah, and that's good advice. Well, they're not going to, they're just, you know, you can't force them to like something they don't like. The more they come to it on their own, the more they're going to embrace it. Do you have tips on uh, how you can tell if you've crossed the line in some way from supporting your child to doing it because you're fulfilling some unmet need from your high school years? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think one of the greatest challenges in being a parent is keeping perspective, you know, because you just don't, you don't really know when they're growing up how they're going to turn out. And of course, we all want our kids to turn out well, to be self-sufficient and well-adjusted and gainfully employed and have friendships and important relationships in their life. I, I don't think that's a controversial statement. But when they're growing up, you just, you don't know and you don't have the perspective that older parents have. So I think the goal is to recognize that you probably don't have perspective. So how do I know if, I'm, if I've gotten out of control? I think you start by asking yourself some questions, including when I go to a cocktail party, does it take me five minutes to announce to the person I've just met that my child is a lacrosse player or a soccer star? I would say that's a little bit of a warning sign because it just shows you how top of mind your child's athletics are. Um, does the thought of your child quitting a sport just devastate you? If, if that's the case, then you probably are a little too wound up in it. You know, I think it's really important for parents to try to gain perspective by talking to older parents who've been through this, who can say, when I say older parent, parent of kids who are beyond all this, I don't know a single one who would say, 
I'm so glad we spent every weekend driving to Virginia and Long Island for a tournament. That doesn't mean that there weren't some benefits to be had. I'm not suggesting that. I know that there's some good in all of this. But the importance that we attach to it when we're younger, that's the issue. And I think older parents can tell you younger parents that it's really not that important if your child gets bumped from the A team to the B team or it doesn't make varsity as a sophomore or isn't pick captain. These issues that can seem so vital and overwhelmingly important just really wither away about two years after they've gone. So it's, it's striving to keep perspective, practicing some distancing. How's this look from the outside? If I'm having a problem with my child's coach, my child's playing time, imagine how you would advise a friend with this problem. I think that's how you can kind of get a little bit more grounded into what's really important. Thanks so much, Linda. Thanks for having me. Linda Flanagan is a former coach and author of Take Back the Game, How Money and Mania Are Ruining Kids' Sports and Why It Matters. We'll have more interviews with experts in education and beyond. Hit follow on your favorite podcast apps so you don't miss a thing. The MindShift team includes me, Ki Sung, Nima Gobier, Kara Newhouse, and Marlena Jackson-Rotondo. Our editor is Chris Hambrick, Seth Samuel is our sound designer, Jen Chian is our head of podcasts, and Holly Kernan is KQD's chief content officer. MindShift is supported in part by the generosity of the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation and members of KQED. Thank you for listening. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.